Meet Ted Lasso. Ted is the lead character in a new comedy on Apple TV that bears his name. The show has a lot of foul language, by the way, so I am not recommending that you tell your kids to go sit down and watch it right away. But one of our Knox members told me a couple of weeks ago that it's an incredible show about leadership, and so I checked it out, and he was right. The concept for the show is as you saw in the video. Ted Lasso is a Division II college football coach in Wichita. He's hired to move to England and coach a professional soccer team. Ted knows nothing about soccer. He has never coached a soccer team at any level. The team owner, who was pictured at the beginning of the video, recently won the team from her ex-husband in a bitter divorce, and she has hired Ted Lasso with the secret hope that he will ruin the franchise. It seems like her plan is foolproof. Ted's obstacles to success are easy to see. He is a classic Midwestern loud American. He knows less about England than he knows about soccer. He's as folksy as they come and appears to have no idea what he's doing, but everyone who doubts him is about to be very surprised. Ted recently led his American football team from the bottom of the league to a championship in one season, and his success has nothing to do with sports. Ted Lasso cares about people. He says that he doesn't care about winning, that he coaches in order to help young men become the best version of themselves, and he means it. He is boundlessly enthusiastic. He, the insults that the locals hurl at him, they roll right off his back. Ted pays attention to details, the ones that are important. He remembers birthdays. He takes notice when people are hurting. He never forgets a name, and he celebrates the gifts of other people every time he gets the chance. And without seeing it coming, people are constantly surprised that they are happier in Ted's presence. That just like he intended, he is helping them to become the best version of themselves. Ted's secret has to do with the quotation I posted at the start of the sermon. It read like this, one of the greatest hindrances to imagining possibilities is perceptual distortion. Obstacles appear larger and more ominous than they are, keeping us preoccupied with trying to avoid danger rather than discerning alternatives. So much of the time we focus on obstacles, Obstacles that seem even larger to us than they actually are. Obstacles keep us from being able to see possibilities. This sermon is about seeing possibilities. And that quote at the beginning of the sermon was not about Ted Lasso. It's from a biblical commentary on the story of Lazarus. So... Meet Lazarus. The story of Lazarus appears only in the Gospel according to John. 
It's the longest story in any of the four Gospels about Jesus' encounter with any one person or situation. In fact, it is the other people Jesus encounters because of Lazarus who really make up the storyline. And the variety of reactions Jesus gets from them is one of the things that adds so much richness to the message. First, a little background and context, and then we'll look at what this story is trying to tell us about possibilities. From what the story tells us, we gather that Lazarus is a friend and follower of Jesus. He is the brother of two women who have their own story in the Gospel of John, Martha and Mary. The disciples who are traveling with Jesus also play a role in the story. The story of Lazarus is a story about a man who dies and is raised from the dead. It is told near the end of the stories of Jesus' ministry in John and right before Jesus begins his journey to the cross. So it is a story meant to point to Jesus' own death and resurrection. It is helpful to name the function of this story, how it serves its purpose in the structure of the Gospel of John. It's a thread that ties together John's whole telling of the story of Jesus' ministry and the meaning of that ministry. Not only does the story look forward, but it looks back as well. The words and phrases that make up the story, life out of death, light out of darkness, the importance of believing, the glory of God being revealed. All of this language is drawn from the prologue that makes up the first chapter of the Gospel of John. This story about Lazarus projects both backwards and forwards, and it's intended to show us the most important themes in the life of Jesus. And one of those themes, again, is seeing possibilities. So, in this story where we see the impossible become real, let's take a look at how people react to Jesus along the way. First, let's take a look at the disciples. Jesus is with them when the story begins. In order to appreciate what is happening in the story of Lazarus, you have to remember what happened immediately before. Jesus and the disciples have just narrowly escaped from the festival of the dedication in Jerusalem. While they were there, a group of religious authorities, threatened by Jesus' growing influence, threatened to stone him to death. Immediately following that, in the story of Lazarus, when the word reaches Jesus that Lazarus is ill, he agrees to go back to that place where his life was threatened. The disciples agree to go along, but not before arguing that it is a bad idea. Jesus, though, never flinches. This comes as no great surprise to any of us who have read our share of Bible stories and are used to seeing Jesus not flinch. But remember for a moment what it means in context of today's lesson about seeing possibilities instead of obstacles, and what it might be saying to us. You see, most of us can find countless 
often insignificant reasons, to avoid doing the right thing. We name all of the obstacles that will keep us away. We know all of the personal shortcomings and the situational limitations why a thing cannot be done. Jesus, whose very life has just been threatened, can only see the possibility of helping his friend Lazarus. Mary and Martha are the other two characters who react to Jesus in this story. When Jesus is on the way to see Lazarus, his sister Martha leaves the tomb of Lazarus and goes out to meet him. And when she meets Jesus, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus continues to the tomb and meets the other sister, Mary, she sees him approaching and she says exactly the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's an interesting choice of words because you can't tell what they are, if what they are saying is an affirmation of their faith in Jesus or an accusation that he has let them down. But Jesus' response is the important part. He says a verse that many of you may have heard before, and perhaps you've heard it out of context. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is not pointing to some future reality in which he is going to help Lazarus or anyone else. He's talking about the new life that is possible now. Jesus has the power to transform a life right away and every single minute. Jesus is resurrection power for today. And it is with those words hanging in the air, I am the resurrection and the life, that he proceeds to the tomb to do the impossible, to raise Lazarus from the dead. So what about Lazarus? Well, it is not so much Lazarus' reaction to Jesus that is worth talking about, but Jesus' reaction to Lazarus and to the others who are gathered around his tomb. There's a familiar verse in this story. Some of you may know it as a bit of Bible trivia. The shortest verse in the Bible is John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. When Jesus arrives at the tomb of Lazarus and sees his sister Mary weeping, Jesus too begins to weep. He joins her in her sorrow and her pain this is a total surprise because this story paints arguably the most divine and least human portrayal that we have of Jesus. Raising someone from the dead, doing so without a shadow of doubt in his mind. And yet, suddenly, we see this beautifully vulnerable moment in Jesus' life where he takes on the sadness of another. He shows his own capacity for friendship, loss, and grief. In this story where we see so much miraculous, hopeful, superhuman behavior from Jesus, where we see one for whom there are all possibilities and no obstacles, 
This is the very same story in which we see Jesus cry. I'm hoping to help us see the down-to-earth qualities of this miraculous Bible story. So here at the moment of resurrection, I'm going to flip back to my silly opening illustration. I'm going to link this divine and miraculous story back to that struggling soccer team and their coach who seems so deeply flawed. Ted Lasso is a complex character. It wouldn't be much of a show if he were just a ridiculous optimist. He is a regular flawed person who has demons of his own. And one of the reasons people rally around him, one of the most important reasons people rally around him is because he allows other people to see him struggle. This can be one of the most important characteristics of a leader. In spite of his struggles, Ted chooses to believe in possibilities instead of obstacles. He broadcasts right out loud his belief in the possibilities for his struggling team. He says out loud his belief in every one of the individuals who are part of the team and everybody else around him. And maybe, maybe, it is by believing so vocally in other people that he has learned how to believe in himself. I'm not trying to argue this morning that Ted Lasso is a Christ figure, but one of his Christ-like qualities is that he's not preoccupied with himself the way so many of us tend to be. Ted is focused on others and is in his love for them. That's how he begins to heal himself. Here's one more clip from the show Ted Lasso. It's the locker room speech before the big game. The team is up against a much stronger opponent, and they are facing elimination from the league. Let's take a look. All right now, fellas, hey, let's focus up, huh? So I've been hearing this phrase y'all got over here that I ain't too crazy about. It's the hope that kills you. Y'all know that? I disagree, you know? I think it's the lack of hope that comes and gets you. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Now, where I'm from, we got a saying too. Yeah? Uh, question, actually. Do you believe in miracles? Now, I don't need y'all to answer that question for me. But I do want you to answer that question for yourselves. Right now. Do you believe in miracles? And if you do, then I want y'all to circle up with me right now. Come on, let's go. I love the way 
that Ted Lasso frames this choice. You don't need to tell me if you believe in miracles, but you better decide for yourself. Most of us are not simple people, always optimistic or always pessimistic. Instead, most of us are a mix of both. That means that each day and in every situation, we have a challenge before us. Sometimes we will believe in possibilities. Other times we will have a hard time doing so. But the challenge is always there. You have to decide for yourself. This is precisely the way all of the bystanders react to the Lazarus story. The conclusion in verses 45 and 46 says, Many who had seen what Jesus did believed, but some of them went and told the Pharisees what he had done. Some of the bystanders do not go along with Jesus. They can't get all the way there to belief. I'm not going to tell you this morning what happens to Ted Lasso and the team on the other side of that final game. Suffice it to say that if there was a simple win or loss, there'd be no chance of a second season, and the writers are smarter than that. This sermon is also not meant to tie up all of the loose ends about miracles or about believing in possibilities. There are good reasons to pay attention to obstacles. I have four young children. Every time we go around the block on our bikes, I know that it is important to assess risks and understand obstacles so that nobody gets hit by a car. That's the simplest of possible examples. But I will say this about possibilities. Far too many times in life, we allow the amplified obstacles in our minds to keep us from seeing the possibilities, from grasping the adventures and the chances for new life that emerge all around us. The big question in this story of Lazarus is whether you are going to live life now as if you believe. Will you be a skeptic or a believer? A slave of obstacles or an owner of possibilities, one stuck in a tomb or gifted by the hope of resurrection? What possibilities might you explore as we continue these Lenten encounters with Jesus? Amen.